You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. The Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show is back in 2022 after a two-year hiatus and I've been in attendance checking out the displays, networking and interviewing interesting people. This episode is the first out of two episodes I'll be releasing based on my Mivka's journey. Imagine you're here with me as I interview these passionate people from widely different parts of the green industry. We're here at the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show and I'm sitting down with my mentor Karen Smith. G'day Karen, how are you going? I'm very well, thanks Daniel. So what brings you to the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show? Well, I've been coming to the show uh, with Hort Journal magazine since it began in 2008, so I've been coming every year since then. What are you loving this year? Well, I always love to come and see the big show gardens. They're always pretty spectacular, and there's certainly some lovely ones here today. But I also love to see the boutique gardens and emerging gardens and also the Achievables Alley because that's where the students, horticultural or landscape students, are given a plot, usually three metres by three metres. And I always feel like it's um, it can be a challenge to design something for a small area and I feel they always do a really good job. So it's nice to see those emerging landscape designers uh, starting out. Yeah, absolutely. And what do you think about the ability for somebody like a student to create a garden that people can come here and have a look at that they can actually replicate in their own garden, maybe as opposed to some of those more fancier gardens that we can look at by people who've been doing it for decades? Well, that's exactly right, because uh, today most people have smaller backyards. Of course, there are still people that have large gardens, but uh, on a whole, people have a smaller area. And it's something that they can usually look at and think, well, I could replicate that. Plus, um, you know, they may also not have a budget to put... Not everyone could afford to put a big show garden in their backyard, but they can often um, get those ideas from the achievable gardens and those students as to uh, things that they can do that won't cost a lot. For example, one of the gardens today... The fencing around the area was made from recycled wood palings uh, that had been cut, I think, probably at about seven, five to seven centimetres thick and placed on an angle, so it gave a really good effect. So that's a great example of uh, recycling as well. Absolutely. I think that that's a bit of a theme today that I've noticed there's a lot of sustainable stuff and I think that's fantastic to see well yes there's also um, a section set up I think by NGIV Nursery and Garden Industry Victoria about the recycling and the uh, recycled plastics so one of the one of the downsides I suppose to the horticultural industry is the use of plastic with their pots but uh, that is being uh, looked at at the moment and, and uh, looking at ways that that can be um, that those pots can be recycled well there are ways that that can be done so there's quite a bit of information on their stand as well is there anything that you'd like to see next year that you haven't seen here this year um oh that's a tricky question um Possibly a little bit more with the uh, therapeutic landscape. Uh, I haven't been completely around the, the gardens completely yet, so it's quite likely I might come across a stand. I have seen representation from therapeutic landscapes before. Uh, certainly the use of native plants has been well represented, so, so that's, that's a positive. But as far as something different, I think I'd have to put the thinking cap on about that. What about you? Yeah, I'm really happy with the sustainability. You know me, I'm a big ecology person, so I'd really like to see some ecology. But like you said, like 
we've only been here for one day. I've only been here for half a day. So that could actually turn up in my journeys over this week. So I'm really looking forward to seeing everything that's here on offer. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and actually it's been lovely to have the show back in Melbourne because we've missed it for the last couple of years and I'm sure that that's had an impact on a lot of people, uh, particularly uh, horticultural businesses, whether they be landscape architects or, or growers, whilst our industry has fared well with people in store or buying plants. Um, it's just nice for people to get out in the fresh air and come to a show that uh, represents everything they love, which is plants. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you think it's worthwhile for a professional gardener, whether they own their own business or whether they're just an employee, to head on over and check out what's on display here? Or is it a bit of a waste of time? Or what do you think about that? Oh, I think... It, they definitely should come because it's part of their professional development. You get so many ideas from whether it's uh, landscape designing or products to use. You know, all the uh, big companies are here that supply a lot of the products that we use and also the tools. You know, all the big names are here with um, Husqvarna and Still and Turf Company so they can find out about new products that are available with Turf and uh, also new varieties of plants. I was talking to Kim Cyrus before and uh, he had a new plant, a new rose that's, um, that they're promoting that will be available towards the end of the year. So yeah, there's always that. And also up in the um, big pavilion, up in the exhibition centre, there's um, some really fabulous displays from a variety of companies whether it's florists or um, suppliers of floristry equipment so there's that side of it as well yeah absolutely i would recommend anybody who's working in the garden sector to come on over in melbourne and check it out because one these are the sorts of things that can help you maintain and build that passion which is so important especially in our industry more than any other industry i would say and secondly professional development and connections like you never know who you're going to meet you might find that one person who's got that one opportunity that's just going to help you in your career and you never know what's going to happen when you come along to these events so you just sort of got to come in with an open mind I reckon yeah for sure like I said I've been coming here now for well I've probably been to the last 15 shows and um because I you know, came before I even started with the magazine but I always get excited by it I go home and then I want to completely redo my garden and change things around um, so yeah I, I think it's easy to um, feel inspired by just being here Couldn't agree more Thanks so much Karen You're welcome I'm here with Kate Grant from Ball Australia. How are you going, Kate? Really well. We're having a great first day here at Mifkus. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? How lucky are we with the weather today? Exceptional. Thought it was going to rain, but skies have opened up, so it's terrific. Sunshine. And it's a good crowd. Really happy with the numbers and the interest in the products. So for a uh, Mifkus that hasn't been open for a little while, it's a good comeback. Absolutely agree. And I see you here... Uh, watering the pansies here, great job. Yeah, this is um, a collection of pansies that Ball Australia do. And we've got them as part of the NGIV um, precinct area just to sort of put some colour and display and get the, um, the message of colour your world out to everyone and keep gardening. Absolutely, definitely lots of colour here. So can you tell me about the Colour Your World slogan? What, do, what does that mean? What are you guys trying to do? So Colour Your World is a logo and a program we've developed to just incite people about pollination, colour back in gardens and just looking after that sort of cohabitation in a garden environment and as I said predominantly about pollination but just to invite people to put colour back into their garden be it pots, garden beds, um, hanging baskets, so many ways you can do it and our company Paul Australia we've got such a broad range of good flowering bedding line material it's hard to not colour your garden. 
Absolutely. And I love hearing ecology talked about at a garden show like this. That's something I'm personally very passionate about. And I think we need to get more ecology into our Australian gardens. Absolutely. Very important. And look, a lot of our varieties, um, they're becoming an, uh, more pollinator friendly. And we see it in the trial gardens we grow on site at our nursery and just the bees that we attract and butterflies. Um, it, it is. It's a healthy outcome. Absolutely. So what are you loving in particular this year at the gardens? I can't answer that just yet because I've only just started and I haven't had a chance to look around but I am really impressed. Down the centre walkway here is the um, display of begonia dragon wings and it's just, it's massive. It withstands um, sunlight, shade and a big show of flowers. So, so far, that's my take. Love that. I'm seeing begonias everywhere at the moment. They're really in, aren't they? They are. They've come back. Um, they're very, very strong. And we've also, there's a great little um, product up the other end called Impatience Beacon. And it's a new line that's been released because it withstands all that downy mildew issue that can come with a lot of beacon products. And this is um, one that's been bred to really handle that sort of humidity, wet weather, dry weather and give you good flower and all year round colour. Beautiful. Last question. I know that you haven't been here for long, but is there anything you're really hoping to see here today? Uh, do you know, if, if anything, it's just to see the people of Melbourne and, and even interstaters all come back and enjoy and reconnect with what the joy of gardening and putting colour back in can do. And I think just for everyone's health benefit, just to be out and just explore things again and just be able to connect back with each other as people but certainly as plants and just know that there's um there's light at the end of the tunnel what a beautiful message thank you so much great to talk to you thank you awesome we're here with kim cirrus and uh what's your position kim uh, well, I'm a, the Australian agent for Mayond International, which is a, a French-based rose breeder, um, breeding roses for over 130 years. Um, you know, some of the landmark roses they bred are Peace, uh, Pierre de Ronsard, Seduction, Papa Mayon, And this rose, Zeppity, is a brand-new category in their rose breeding profile, and it's to do with its profile. So I always say, think of a, a Buxus, an English box, and add some red flowers to it, and you've really got what this rose is. So it's it's more along the lines of very uprights, an up naturally upright grower, around about 25 centimetres wide, about 40 centimetres high, with incredibly good disease resistance. Um, at the moment, it's being grown up in Queensland. Um, not a drop of black spot on it, not a spot anywhere, and um, in fact, it's it being grown in Florida, and we know that the the pressure and the disease pressures in, in Florida are you know, probably really where we're sitting at Cairns. Um, its ability to, to grow and flower, it flowers you know, throughout the period. The higher up the coastline you go from Melbourne up through Sydney, you're looking at something that's really flowering 12 months of the year. Um, so you know, the ability to flower over that time. Um, we always say it needs a bit of a cutback, like you would be cutting back an English box. So trimming it back by about, about half mechanically, not hand pruning, but mechanically it's just a sheer back and you're back in business. Um, the usual things about watering and feeding are required, but uh, it's, 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 it's a breakthrough in the fact that this is a plant that can sit on both the hedging bench and the rose bench at the same time, and the uh, it's a use plant. So we, we and you know, on our stand here, we actually haven't used the word rose because sometimes people look at roses and go, they have a they have a preconceived idea about what a rose is, whether it you know, or, you know whether it's a bit of hard work. But um, we're really breaking that uh, breaking that barrier with this this particular plant here, Zeppity, and looking at sort of um, being on the the sort of sail bench in. Uh, from spring onwards and you know, we see this as very much a, a rose for both the home garden but even more importantly for the landscape use and broad landscape amenity use. I love what you said there about giving us a Buxus alternative that has some of these beautiful little red roses on it. 
So when you're talking about pruning, okay, we're going to hedge it hard with a hedger. What about winter pruning? What would you do there? Yeah, that, that's really, the, you can prune it once a year, yeah. and that's in winter time. And just and cut it right back down low and let it start again. Let it start again. I mean, if you wanted to shape it and, you know, like you would normally a box, a box hedge, um, you could do a bit of shaping, and you would still maintain that, that sort of shape. Um, it would start growing out, but it's a slow, it's a slow but steady grower. So you're not going to have anything that's sort of going to be jumping you know, up high in terms of growth. And it's from a full sun to part shade. So anywhere in between there, you're going to get fantastic um, growth habit. Wonderful. Thanks so much for your time, Kim. Thank you, Daniel. Okay. I'm here with Michael Casey, president of the Australian Institute of Horticulture. How you going, mate? Very good. How are you, Daniel? It's great to see you. Yeah, it's groovy, man. A beautiful day today. But, Michael, you just said something before that I'd like to have you say on the record, please. Daniel, very happy to. Plants grow here, and I was just saying to a colleague of ours, is one of the best horticultural, uh, if not the best, horticultural podcast out there. The level and the variation of different subjects and topics is, I'm loving it. So, all best, well done. Let's get more content out there, and uh, let's get the industry listening. Well done. Thanks, Mark. You actually said the best podcast. You didn't qualify with you didn't qualify with horticultural podcasts. Look, we will uh, we will edit that back in. But yeah, the best gardening horticultural podcast. The best podcast is okay. We could just say that. Okay, mate. Best podcast ever. <laughs> I love it. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate your time, mate. Thanks, mate. All the best. I'm here with Matt Carroll from Horty Man. How you going, Matt? Very well, thank you. How are you? Great, thank you. So, what are you loving today? What are you loving here at the gardens at the moment? Well, being a Sydney sider, it's just great to be uh, out of the rain. It's been pouring <laughs> up there for, for, for too long, but uh, also getting out and checking out display gardens and, and, and going and having a look currently in the Achievable Gardens. So, seeing what the students have, have put together, always some interesting you know, uh, designs and, and you know, use of plant material, and then also going and checking through all the other show gardens, as well as just going a bit of shopping. Just having a bit of shop, yeah. I'm loving all the native plants this year. What do you reckon about that? Yeah, definitely. It seems to be definitely a, a, the theme of, of natives and a lot of the silvery foliage is coming pretty prominently in, in all the different display guns. So, uh, yeah, but also just the, the amount of plants is what I like to see as well. So uh, not, not spaces dominated by hardscapes. So we've no. seen the plants being the hero as they should be. And, yeah, there's uh, maybe some gravel and a little bit of mulch here and then. But, yeah, like you say, it's, it's mainly gardens f- completely filled with plants and that's beautiful to see. What do you want to see next year that you haven't seen so far this year? Is there anything at all you can think of? I don't know. It's, it's as I say, it's just great seeing people out and about yeah. enjoying gardens. So uh, it's 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 hard to think of. I've actually you know just done through this particular area. So I'm looking forward to checking out all the other other display gardens. But um, as I say, it's just great. And the, the other thing in these other gardens, a lot of water and habitat through there as well, which I think is another thing that sort of jumps out whenever if you can bring nature into those uh, outdoor spaces. Always looks looks good and is good. Uh, you know, obviously for um, in native wildlife. Completely agree. I think that uh, a lot of people are thinking about this a lot more now. I'm not sure if it's COVID or what what's done it, but yeah, certainly I'm noticing that trend going upwards. Yeah, it's beautiful to see you loving it. Yeah. No, it's uh, oh, as I say, it's uh, it's good seeing all, all the, especially if this is up and coming designers into the future with with ground, grounding and that side of things. Uh, good sign of things to come. Yeah, exciting times ahead. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. I'm here with a bit of an Aussie icon, Graham Ross, and uh, it's a wonderful day, Graham. How are you going today? Yeah, excellent. Good weather, bit of rain, bit of sun, bit of cloud. Great crowds, that's what we love, great crowds at Mifkus. Absolutely, yeah. So what are you loving this year? Uh, show garden numbers are down, quality's up. Uh, more youth engagement with uh, garden designers. The landscapers have got, uh, in fact, IMG... Uh, and NGIV, the association, has come up with a a couple of new categories for young people to participate in the show, which is great. I know no one would want to go back two years with COVID, but the thing that struck me, especially when I was filming during the week for Better Homes and Gardens, there's, there's there's a different ethos, there's a different feeling behind all of the gardens. Well, most of them, 80% of the show gardens in particular, have, have a different philosophy behind them. And I think that's come out of COVID. It's more empathy, it's more people-based, it's more um, 
and it's not just people that are handicapped or stressed or under mental pressures. That's there, and there's a couple of gardens that are specifically designed for that. So I'm really impressed that we have now come up with uh, a show with show gardens that have a lot of connection with people. We know the numbers. Uh, the Garden Council has done its research on what's happened since March 2020, and uh, this show is reflecting that. You know, you wouldn't wish to go backwards, but coming out of it has been a real bonus. Absolutely. I think we're one of the only industries that have actually gone up, and that's fantastic to see. Graham, one thing I've noticed is there's a lot more Aussie plants here. Yes. Look, the, um, in 1970, uh, there were about five or six serious native gardens in Australia. By the end of the 70s, which was sort of the Whitlam era, when um, Australia discovered itself and we started flying Australian flags and we suddenly had a, a, our own identity in that era, uh, and, and our native plants were part of that discovery. We ended up with over, over 470 native nurseries in Australia. Um, I've got to say, in the main, the plants were pretty average. The varieties were pretty average. There were a couple of good hybrids. Now in Australia, we have about two dozen, <laughs> from 400 down to 24, uh, a couple of dozen really good native nurseries. But the native plant hybrids have gone through the roof. Garden centres, of course, are under pressure from bunning, so uh, garden centres have got smaller or disappeared. So the garden centres that have survived have, um, other than Garden World and the big ones, you know, the average local garden centre has either disappeared or it's on a small domestic block. So it can't carry uh, a huge range of camellias and rhododendrons and magnolias and buxus, uh, gardenias and native plants. So that pressure... Uh, is really sad because we now have people like Angus Stewart who have done uh, the best global breeding on kangaroo paws. We now have the best uh, global breeding on, on bottle brush. Uh, we've got the best varieties of grafted eucalypts anywhere in the world. And it, I could go on and on list the range of cultivars that we have in our gardening industry. Uh, I see them in Spain, I see them in Portugal, I see them in France, Italy and of course in England. They are now growing a lot of our native plant hybrids. Um, we're struggling to get our hybrids exposed, of which there are now thousands of really good cultivars, because the garden centres, uh, the native nurseries have disappeared, they've been shrunk, and so have the garden centres. So we've got a different dynamic compared to the 70s in the 21st century. Do you think that there are people, consumers out there, ready to buy native plants again in 2022? No, it's a fallacy. Um, we keep sticking flags on things, um, and that was the problem with the 70s. When we say this is a native plant, you've got to have a native garden, you've got to have, you've got to have banks, you've got to have kangaroo paws, you've got to have waratahs and the yada yada. But gardeners don't look at it that way. Look, a percentage of gardeners do. If we depended on native plant enthusiasts for the industry's livelihood, we'd all be broke. We've got to get over uh, the 70s era and look at our native plants as great ornamentals. You know, like we now have, uh, what, 35, 40 hybrid waratahs. Hybrids between the New South Wales waratah, the Victorian waratah, the Tasmanian waratah. Uh, instead of getting five flowers on a, uh, on a bush, we now get 400. So those hybrids, uh, are the way to go and we've got to educate our, our, our clientele, our gardeners, our customers in Australia that native plants are just part of the realm and um, uh, the, the grafting of eucalypts and the grafting of uh, so many West Australian plants to grow on the east coast with our heavier soils and higher rainfall is indicative of where we've got to go. We've got to use, you know, we started grafting citrus uh, in the mid-1870s in Australia, uh, and, we, and it's the same with roses. Uh, we're now grafting our own citrus, our own finger limes, and we're hybridising our own finger limes. Uh, uh, you know, maybe I'm a heretic, but I just don't think we need to put labels on plants as Australian native plants. They are great ornamentals, and they can compete 
with any of your camellias, any of your azaleas, any of your roses, they're just different. And they might need slightly different cultivation techniques, you know, but that's our, the horticultural community's job, the horticultural media's job, to tell that story, how to grow them, and incorporate them into your garden. I might be wrong though, you never know, I might be wrong. <laughs> so maybe it's about treating plants as individuals rather than labelling them with that native term because maybe that can actually do more harm than good sometimes. Yes, I think you're dead right. I think people, oh I don't want to grow native plants, they're all boring because they remember the, the, the boring, honestly they were, they were a boring group of plants. I, I know some of them that were mass marketed and they were just plants that were selected in the bush. Green Sprite as a Grevillea. It's a useless piece of rubbish. You wouldn't give it space in a concrete block. Um, and there are others. And, you know, they're still, they're, they're still around. There are still nurserymen selling those. When we've got, we've got fantastic hybrid Grevilleas in Victoria, uh, a few in New South Wales, a lot coming out of Queensland. So d- depending on your climate, select, you know, those Grevilleas or the Waratahs or the Eucalypts that are going to stay. Yeah, we've got fantastic plant breeders now and that's the thing that's changed in the last 40 years we've got brilliant plant breeders turning out spectacular plants and the poor old garden centre struggling to get give them space yeah fantastic what do you think about uh, getting ecology into gardens that's something I'm noticing in the circles that I run in that a lot of people are really taking notice of they're trying to incorporate ecological values into the garden are you noticing that in your circles interesting uh, so I'm very likely three times your age. So I think the situation with, and if you split the gardening community up into age groups, uh, the high school kids, climate aware. I'm hugely climate aware and I spend a lot of time um, both in my t- travel company uh, looking at the changes in climate for our, when we go overseas or go around Australia looking at wildflowers, looking at flowering cherries, looking at autumn foliage. It's all changed in the last 40 years because of climate. So I'm acutely aware of that. Uh, I don't know if everybody my age is, uh, and that's indicative of the, of the drama that the, the federal government is in. It knows that half of its supporters are climate aware and the other half are climate deniers. So I, I, think, um, I think we need to be aware and I think the industry needs to take the community uh, with them on this story it is going to be really hard to convince older people Uh, I'm not saying that older generation of Australians are climate deniers it's just that they've they've lived longer with what they consider to be a normal climate they they are now starting to see like like horrendous bushfires terrible floods revisiting bushfires revisiting floods uh, and, and weather changing dramatically. Now, you know, the, the extremists will say, oh yeah, well, it's, it's all about changing weather. It's, it's actually changing climate. So, unfortunately, uh, climate has been uh, pigeonholed, including gardening in, in the climate situation. Uh, it's all been pigeonholed into before and against, you know, up and down, black and white, and it's not like that, but that's, that's where it's sort of ended up. So I'm always a bit cautious in getting too far into that because I want to take my audience, whether it's radio or television, I want to take them with me on the story. So I don't try and confront them too early, but I do throw it in. We can't ignore it, and we do have to be aware of it. So it's interesting. Um, my audience uh, on radio, no, I, uh, I'm celebrating 42 years on radio in the next couple of weeks, and uh, a lot of those people have been listening for 42 years, which is huge, and I'm, I'm enormously grateful, and it's an it's a, a, a enormous responsibility. But I know a lot of those people, the minute that I start talking about, um, well, you're going to need to grow this because the climate's changing, yeah, they just turn off. Yeah, they, they, they mentally turn off, not physically, they mentally turn off. So I think we, we need to take them with us. The young people are already there uh, and, and they'll back us up as we head into the future, I reckon. Well said, Graham. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Good luck, champion, and good luck to all your listeners, pal.
I'm here with Alana Reeves from Dunkel Farm near Bathurst. How are you going? Yeah, good, thank you. That's good. So you're a grower here and you grow flowers and you've donated quite a few flowers here for Julia Rose. Can you tell me a little bit about what Julia Rose is doing here at the show? Julia Rose is, um, she goes on the main, uh, has workshops as well, but also rocks the main stage with floral couture So floral couture, what is that? So like wearable art, I guess, or wearable flowers. So I'm looking at the photos here and they're quite spectacular. Like this isn't just a little flower in your cap or something like that. There's <laughs> quite a lot of effort that goes in. Yeah, capes and robes and yeah, all sorts of stuff. So why, why would somebody like you donate flowers to a show like this? Is it, is it just a purely selfless act or is there maybe a little bit of something in it for you? Or why would you do this? I think Julie is also for little people and the little growers, so it's all like collab work and I think I love it just because it's different. I don't, I guess I don't always, my passion isn't always just like flower arranging, if that makes sense, like your standard bouquets and I love it, don't get me wrong, but this just adds a different vibe and a different edge, especially to your flowers. So I love seeing all my hard work in something so awesome. Right, that she's like elevating the work that you've done to a whole new level. Yeah, good way to put it, definitely. So I'm more than happy. I'm pretty, um, I get right into growing, so it's nice to see flower babies, you know, used in such a different but awesome way. Yeah, they're really quite special. So now I'm speaking with, is this the famous Julia Rose? The famous Julia Rose, that, that, yeah, yeah, totally. So I was just talking with Alana about how she's grown the flowers here for you. And I'm looking at the photos here. Our listeners, it is an audio podcast, so they won't be able to see the beautiful photos. But how would you describe what you do to people? Uh, Fantastical. (laughs) Fantastical. It's a combination of, so the pieces that I create, you imagine. Let me take you there, okay? So we have, we we paint a picture with flowers. It's, It's fashion. So the way that I work is, um, say for instance, I'll discuss a photo and try to take your listeners there. So we have a photo of a lady, uh, she has dark skin, so she's African. Um, She is very deep in colour. I work with her a lot, So, but in this image, I really wanted to make her look uh, like a gorgeous coffee mocha tone. So we had a gorgeous golden afro, and the whole uh, theme was sort of worked off that. Then we stood her in a paddock. And we had the golden afternoon light with the yellow sort of grasses behind. The colours of the flowers that I work, so you have a gown made of flowers, like a short gown, and then a bustier. Um, They are all in pinks and coffee and lattes and eucalyptus and blues and things like that to emphasise the mocha tones of her skin. So then when you're looking at the image, like it all works beautifully. So you imagine it's the image... So when I'm conceptualising, it's everything down to the, the, the line of her jaw or how she, like, looking up to the sun, she has her eyes closed. Like, it's that moment we want to capture. And we have her in gorgeous, like, floral couture, like a gown made of flowers. So it's fantastical. Do you know? Fantastical is such a good word. And um, maybe even another word could be whimsical as well. Whimsical, yeah, definitely whimsical. And some of the images are striking. There's one next to it where the lady has, uh, you imagine Tina Turner in um, Mad Max, how she has that big shrug, do you know, on her shoulders. So you big shrug made of flowers and she's standing very commanding. Um, this lady, she she had really long legs and, so I, and I put black stilettos on her and a pair of high-waisted black granny knickers. Do you know, and I wanted to emphasize, she's got that gap, the thigh gap, do you know, and I just wanted to have this big uh, shoulder like made of an abundance of roses and, and um, berries and, and ferns and things like that. So she just sort of stood there and looked quite commanding, but, but you know, whimsical, fantastic, in the same sort of thing. So, yeah. They do look fantastic. And why would somebody like you come to a show like this? I imagine it's quite an investment. Uh, like, um, because I'm an artist and I'm crazy? No. <laughs> I don't know. 
no, uh, because like, well, it, I, I think it, it, it's different. You know, I do the workshops, so I do the floral couture workshops, and my approach to workshops is different. Like, people don't just, I don't make something and they replicate them. I give them the ingredients, I give them the color palette, like, you know, the, the, the medium, and then they make their own art and I inspire them. So I'm hoping that I'm their muse. Um, but then I do uh, main stage demonstrations. So the other day we did a piece and it was with a Somalian girl, beautiful dark skin. And I had, uh, I had a skirt that was a mermaid skirt and it was blue taffeta. And then I had a uh, corset, which was hot pink. Um, and that again taffeta and then I had a sequent bodysuit and then on top of that we had the big shoulder pads in the pinks and the vibrant greens against her dark skin and it was beautiful we had it on stage I made it and then we took it down into the audience it took us about an hour and a half to walk 400 meters because wow. everyone wanted to take photos media activation and we just hand out flyers. <laughs> and there you go. So, yeah, it is an investment, isn't it? Because it can actually help your business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because everyone loves it. Like, when they see them, they love it. It is something that you just... It's so different. And they fall in love with it. And they want to have a photo of it. Or they want to have a photo with it. And then we give every person a flyer. Yeah, absolutely. So, I uh, just want to say one more thing. It's a bit like a purple cow. Have you ever heard of that term before? A purple cow? So there's a guy called Seth Goat and he wrote a book called Purple Cow and he goes, if you're driving down the highway and you see a brown cow, you don't stop. But if you're driving down the highway and you see a purple cow, you go, I've never seen that in my life. You stop, you take photos and you send them to your family. So when I was walking past, this was a bit of a purple cow for me. Oh, yes, I will take that. I will be the purple cow. <laughs> well, not me. <laughs> exactly. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much. Cheers, Julia. I'm here with Gabe Mustafa, the publisher for Port Journal Australia. G'day, Gabe. How are you going? Not bad, Daniel. How are you? Yeah, it's a cracking day today, mate. What a beautiful day. Everyone's out here today and it's just incredibly busy. And it's really hard to actually get a word in with anybody because everyone's talking to 10 or 12 people at once. That's right, yeah. It's sort of like, you know, I couldn't believe it after two years uh, lockdown and so many people, so many wonderful uh, displays and uh, retailers making roaring business, which is excellent for the industry. Couldn't agree more. Why would somebody like you come to a show like this? Um, basically to um, meet people um, because everybody, you can't meet everybody in one spot at one time, except at shows, conferences and expos. And if you keep going all over Australia... It's going to be hard, right, to meet everybody and you spend most of your time travelling. But at shows like these, you can meet 10, 20, 30 people in one, one place, one time, and get to talk to them. Otherwise, you don't get to talk to them at all. And that's really very important for somebody who's in media. Exactly, because the, the way you get, media gets these stories is by networking. If you don't network, people don't know you and they don't tell you things. So if you network, you get to know people, um, you get to have a chat with them, you find out about the industry, you find out about what they do in the industry and you can um, you know, work with them. I wonder for somebody who's just starting their horticultural career, whether or not they want to get into media, they're going to want to network. Do you have any tips for anyone who's networking? Um, Ask a lot of questions, number one. Um, get to know the industry that you're in, and the only way you're going to get to know the industry is by attending shows, conferences, expos, and talk to people. That's all it is. It's, a, it's, not, it's, it's not rocket science. We've been doing it for, for thousands and thousands of years, and that's all you do, just talk. Just be yourself, eh? Exactly, exactly, 100%. Um, and... You know, people are out there to help you. They're not there to block you or uh, put you down or whatever. If you don't know something, ask the question. Right? There's somebody out there that knows the answer. And that's it. And that helps you a great deal. Love that, Gabe. What are you loving here at the moment? Is there anything that really stands out to you? Um, the, well, basically the people. It's great to see people um, again at exhibitions and expo. Um, uh, landscape uh, expos 
um, you know, the displays, a lot of people are buying a lot of stuff, um, a lot of um, uh, nice designs over in the, um, uh, uh, the landscape area. And, you know, everybody's relaxed, like COVID never existed, <laughs> just about. Yeah, loving it. Everyone's loving it. Everyone's happy. You're seeing lots of smiles here, lots of colourful clothes, lots of, I can see a little colourful spinning dial there. It's just good vibes, mate. It certainly is. It's brilliant. Like, you know, I'm glad that, that it's here, that it didn't sort of get cancelled again. And also the weather's not too hot and not too cold. Thanks so much for your time, Gabe. No worries, you take care. I'm here with Paul Beckman from BioGrow. How you going, Paul? Yeah, good, thank you. How's things? Excellent, mate. I'd like to know a little bit about what you guys do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, look, Fanshakes uh, BioGrow is a family-owned business uh, that has been going over 45 years now, and uh, we're a South Australian-based company, but we also have an outlet in South Dandenong here, and we turn a lot of organics away from landfill and then turn them into uh, reusable products. So our, our motto is uh, obviously uh, recover, refine and reapply. So can you break down those three steps to us? Yeah, so recover. So we recover products from uh, whether it be uh, community events, local government, uh, green waste out of councils. Uh, we also take uh, products from... Uh, job sites like uh, timber um, from uh, the construction industry or whatever uh, and then we take it and we refine it so we uh, compost it to Australian standards uh, the timber we obviously uh, break all that down take the nails out of it use it into mulches um, but the green waste and commercial green waste ends up being uh, refined into composts mulches those type of products and then of course they're reapplied whether it be into the agriculture horticulture, viticulture sector, or we also turn it into um, growing media that is used in pots that you might see at uh, your local hardware or, or bunning site. So a plant uh, at a local nursery, uh, a lot of it's come from us. Right, interesting. Look, you said about pulling out the nails and stuff like that. I'm a maintenance gardener and I've seen some horrendous things in green bins and the start of it is plastic pots. Like, What do you guys see and what do you struggle with there? Oh, look, uh, contamination in green waste bins is certainly a concern of ours and it's just really education, you know, people knowing what to put into their green waste bin. Um, anything that has been alive at one stage can go in there, but anything like nails or plastic uh, certainly is a bugbear of ours. Trying to get plastic out of a product is, is not on, but uh, yeah. What about something like a soup that's a bit salty? W would you keep that out of there or...? A soup? Yeah, maybe a salty soup. You said something that's alive, you know, like we've got vegetables in there. Is, is that going to break down or is the salt going to affect anything or is that fine? No, no. Through the composting process, uh, the salts and everything will work their way out. So any food, um, bones, you know, uh, chopped bones, uh, anything like that will certainly be able to be broken down. So uh, whether it be food uh, or timber, as in cuttings from your trees or your rose bushes or whatever, no, it's all good. All good. Excellent. What are the people coming in here and asking you about? Uh, they're actually asking who is Van Shakes Biogrow. Uh, it's, it's interesting that, you know, we've been a company business that's been around for 40-odd years. Uh, people still don't know who we are. But uh, it's been fantastic, the amount of people that come through the site. Uh, when we explain to them what we do, it's, it's very, very humbling to understand and for them to know what we actually do. And, you know, taking uh, green waste or any organic material out of the landfill situation um, is just certainly one of our goals. Absolutely. I mean, what's the alternative? We're going to be chopping down new timber for, for mulch and that's just not, not on. That's not what we want. We want to be diverting it from landfill. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the effect that those products have in landfill for um, uh, releasing methane into the atmosphere and things like that, um, if we can take that away and then refine it and reapply it back into a bag of potting mix or into uh, landscape materials, or uh, we use mulches ourselves. Some of our mulches are used in the vineyard areas, so over the top of um, the mounds in underneath vines, you know, to help water loss and, and uh, reduce temperature around in the hot months is, is fantastic. Love it. What about testing? How do you test it? Yeah, so we have our own uh, quality assurance uh, at, at both of our sites. So uh, 
certainly at our composting site, we're testing for heat, um, we're testing for nitrates, we're testing for pH, we're testing for um, nitrogen drawdown, a lot of things. So we're testing them daily um, and uh, yeah, recording them. So somebody who's going to buy a product of yours under any of the umbrellas that they might buy it under can feel safe that they're not going to be introducing any nasties into their garden? Oh, for sure. Yeah, through our composting process, which is to Australian standards, um, we get a rid of all of those nasties. So, yeah, there's no problems at all. Are you able to tell me some of the brands that uh, people might recognise that your products go into? Is it all BioGrow or are there other, are there other brands that you serve as well? Um, look, there are some uh, potty mixes and mulches that we sell that you wouldn't know that they're ours because we sell through a third-party um, thing. But uh, a lot of our bulk materials are sold into the Melbourne and Adelaide markets through major, major um, landscape suppliers. So you just need to ask if it's uh, made by Biogrow. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. No worries at all. Thank you. Appreciate you. We're here with Letitia Jamison from Formboss Metal Garden Edging and looks like a fantastic product. It's basically like a steel edge with a really nice rusted finish on it. So it looks beautiful up against, uh, contrasted against the green foliage and yeah, really wonderful product. Fantastic as planter boxes. We've also got uh, a more of a, a, a silver finish. Yeah, so... Letitia, how's the show been? Are you surprised by how many people there are? Actually, yeah. I've done these shows for nine years now, and um, I wasn't expecting as many people to come for the Thursday and Wednesday, um, but the turnout's been just fantastic for it. So um, I guess, you know, having two years off, everyone's keen, everyone's keen to come out. So um, it's actually been really, really good. Um, yeah, constant flow of people. Um, and everyone's just super happy to be here. Yeah. So it's been a really good vibe um, from all of the, the people visiting the show. So So would you say for the last two years, because you know they've said a lot of a lot more people have been um, focusing on the home landscaping or hiring landscapers to design a new garden for them, have you has that filtered through to you with your products? Definitely. Um, we found that we um, increased our business during COVID. Um, so we were able to stay open um, as we're manufacturing as well. Yeah. Um, so it went really, really well. We haven't had any kind of downtime and we found just a significant growth in the industry. Um, well, from our perspective anyway. Yeah. So um, it's been really, really good. Um, yeah, like you said, no one's been able to go on holidays. Yeah. You can't you can't leave your house. Your house became... Your sanctuary. Yeah, yeah. And, your, and your holiday in a, yeah. in a roundabout way. You could go in the backyard. That's the only place you could go. So then people wanted to make it something that was homely and comfortable and fun to be around because you couldn't go anywhere else. So Yeah, and I think it was kind of horticulture's turn, you know, like yeah. horticulture landscape industry's turn to have some good years or, you know, a good situation from a bad situation. Absolutely. You know, like we've had years of drought and, mm -hmm. and water restrictions and bushfires and everything. So to have a, a couple of years of people really focusing on plant material, buying plants, getting landscaping done, all that kind of stuff is, uh, yeah, is a bonus for us. Most, for a change. most definitely. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, you've got great products. I'm here with Fiona Chambers, who's the CEO of Wean Bee Foundation. How are you going, Fiona? Okay, I'm really well, thanks. Cool. So obviously, as somebody who, who wants to get ecology into horticulture, I see bee-friendly farming garden and I'm instantly hooked. So can you tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing and what information you're spreading around here today? Um, yeah, well, we've, we've got the bee-friendly farming and gardening program that we brought out from America. It's been hugely successful. In the first six months, we've uh, had over 30,000 hectares of farmland certified across five states of Australia. And now we're focusing on the garden program. We're really wanting to see more gardeners... Um, having pollinator highways to, to really break up that fragmentation we're seeing in urban areas. Absolutely. As somebody who struggles with pests and diseases in my garden, I want more flowers around. I want more highways for those predator insects and bees as well, just basically to make their way into my garden. 
Yeah, look, it's so important. And what we're seeing in some areas, we're, we're having so many more beekeepers keeping bees, which is great. But at the same time, we've got uh, subdivisions, so we've got more houses and less gardens. So that's a real problem for all pollinators, not just honeybees, but native bees and the range of other pollinators around as well. Yeah, just more competition for less food. That's right. And, and so what we can do as gardeners is plant plants, particularly indigenous plants, that provide nectar and pollen uh, resources because that's what our pollinators need. They need food to eat. I think it's fantastic. Uh, how much ecology is here uh, this week? I've seen so much, like we've got ecological gardens with habitat and we're, we've got a lot of sustainability here. I think that people are really waking up to these ideals and this is the masses here. This isn't just you know people who are really into ecology. These are gardeners. Yeah, and look, they're really open to the idea. There's been a lot of interest in the native bees. Most people have been so surprised that we've got over 2,000 species of native bee in Australia. And in any 10-kilometre area, you've probably got 200 species of native bee alone um, in that area. Most people have never seen them. No, and they have all kinds of different habitat needs too. They do. So, you know, I said that they need a food to eat, but they also need a place to breed and reproduce. Um, and about two-thirds of our native bees are actually ground-nesting bees. So what we're seeing is that uh, people have become very diligent with their water retention in their gardens, so everyone mulches very diligently. But what they don't realise is that the little native bees need a nice place to nest, need access to the ground. So maybe when you're mulching, think about the ground-nesting bees. Leave a bit of space that's not um, mulched and make sure that the blackbirds can't come and throw the mulch all over where the native bees might be nesting. Yeah, maybe in a low traffic spot too. Yeah, low traffic spot. We don't want to be stepping on those native bees either. So what are some of the main questions that people have been asking you here? You said uh, that maybe people are surprised that there are more than just European honeybees when we're talking about bees. Are there any other questions people are asking? Yeah, look, people are getting very excited about um, sightings of blue-banded bees. A lot of people think of native bees and they think blue-banded bees, but there's so many more other species. Uh, I think the big goal people have been trying to think about how they can fill floral gaps in the calendar year. So, you know, there might be one particular month where there's not much flowering. So how can they, uh, what species can they plant to make sure our native pollinators have got something all year round? Well, certainly the warmer months anyway. Yeah, so that's not really a one-size-fits-all answer, is there? It might depend on what you've got going on and what month it is that you need to fill. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there have been some people concerned that in the winter months there, there's not much, they never see any activity and they're worried that they haven't got enough flowers. Um, I've been reassuring people that in those colder months uh, many of our insect pollinators go through a dire pause. So we're not likely to see them. Even if we give them lots of flowers, they're probably not going to be there because they're, it's too cold for them. So not to get too stressed in the winter when they don't see the pollinators. On the plus side, we're not going to get any of those cabbage moths though as well in winter. <laughs> yeah, we don't want the cabbage moths, no. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time, Fiona. My pleasure. Great to talk to you. Great, thank you. Thank you to everybody who was generous enough with their time to chat with me. If you've missed out on Mivgas this year, make a conscious effort to go to one plant-related event in the next few months. Keep an ear out for the second Mivgas episode, which will drop on Tuesday.